and welcome to an all-new SP Nation. As always, I'm your host, Scott Piper, because you can't have SP Nation without the SP. It's Friday. Um, I'm doing something a little bit different, I guess, for the release schedule. I always said that SP Nation was going to come out Thursday, and... For the most part, it does come out Thursday, but I'm trying to see how you guys like a Friday release. I'm not sure if there's, you know, that much of a big difference or if it's just, you know, me keeping to that original Thursday schedule, which, you know, I have no problem with doing either or. I just like releasing SP Nation at the end of the week. It gives you guys something to listen to on the weekend. It lets y'all, you know, it, it, you know, it's that... TGIF, you know, feeling it's Friday, it's SP Nation night, it's podcast night. I'm on my way home from work for the last time for two whole days. Might as well throw on a podcast. So uh, let me know what you guys think about that. Also, make sure you guys are checking out the Instagram account for SP Nation, which is SP underscore Nation Official. At Instagram.com, you'll you'll be totally up to date on all the new artwork coming out, um, any new updates that are coming out, and if you just want to say hey, hi, how are you, how's your day, I love your show, I hate you, fuck off, any of the following, you can message me on Instagram or you can message me on the Facebook page, which is SP Nation um, at SP. Uh, I really need to know this stuff before I plug it. Um, but yeah, you can just search SP Nation on Facebook, and it should be really easy to find. If you know the show's logo, then you know the show's Facebook page. Anyways, um, on today's episode, which I'm kind of excited about this episode for a few different reasons. Number one, uh, the guest, Greg Anthony. Um awesome professional wrestler uh, and a really great guy and has a lot of really good insight into the um, territories of wrestling, kind of the independent scene of wrestling as well, because that's what he's, you know, mainly known for. Um, He's such a huge, just like a folder of information, like, the stuff that he's going to get into, the challenges that he and his company faced during COVID last year. Um, it, it was just very interesting to hear him talk and get his perspective of the wrestling business. But um, the other reason I'm really excited for this episode of SP Nation is that this is the last episode that features the shitty old recording style. Thank God for that, because personally, the way the old uh, interviews were recorded, it was a really janky way of doing it. I was essentially on my Google Chromebook, which is a fantastic laptop, but not great for podcasting. Um, So if you guys are ever thinking about going into podcasting for yourself, don't use a Chromebook because there's not a whole lot of recording Uh, software you can use for it and how I was recording interviews at the time I was pulling them up on zoom which zoom is supposed to let you save the audio but it doesn't let you do it with a chromebook so I was having to 
have Zoom running, have a recording software running, and put the microphone up to this speaker on the laptop is a shitty way of doing it. And it's kind of, when I listen back to this interview with Greg, I noticed there's a few little parts where the audio gets really low or gets really staticky. And it was kind of at a pivotal part in the conversation where it wasn't easy to edit out without losing the, like what was being said for like the last five minutes. So I didn't do a lot of editing on this episode. I wanted to leave it kind of raw for you guys to listen to. Um, but this is the last episode that is like that. So going forward, all new software, all new recording style, all new everything for the most part. So you get to hear better SP Nation episodes, better interviews, and better topics. Um, just a reminder, SP Nation will be getting ready to go to a YouTube-style show um, probably within a month or two at the either at the beginning, well, at the end of April or the end of June. I'm not 100% sure yet. Um, well, at the beginning of June, definitely not, definitely not past June. So we should be running on, we should be running on Spotify, Anchor, Google podcast, Apple podcast, uh, breaker pocket cast, and officially YouTube by the end of June. So a lot of cool ways for you to listen to SP Nation, a lot of great ways for you to, you know, really enjoy the show and get, you know, more behind the scenes facts and figures and all, all sorts of stuff like that. But um, I want to give a lastly, before we get into the show, I want to give a super special shout out to everyone who listened to the 25th episode of SP Nation last week. You guys are awesome. I got some really great feedback for the episode, and I got some amazing um, listenerships for the episode. Like, it, it's not a top five episode yet, but it's seriously almost to the top five as far as listenerships. So thank you, everyone who's listened to it. And as always, I promise better episodes and better content coming forward. But today... On SP Nation, we have a three-time NWA National Heavyweight Champion, a seven-time Unified Heavyweight Champion, a three-time NWA Southern Heavyweight Champion, and he is also the host of the 30-Minute Midas Touch podcast that you can listen to everywhere on Spotify, you name it, it's on there. And without further ado, please welcome the golden boy, Greg Anthony. Oh man, I'm I'm trying to stay warm. It's not it's not working very well, but right, <laughs> right. I'm over here by the uh, window in my apartment, and I've got that cold air just kind of seeping through there. <laughs> so, what got you into wrestling? Because I looked on the NW, I looked on the Mid South page, and it looks like you've been the first time you were a uh, champion for them was back in 2013. When did you start wrestling? Um, I've actually been wrestling since April of 2000. So oh, wow. uh, come up on 21 years. Um, 
And, uh, at, you know, Pro Wrestling Mid-South, you know, we're, you know, this incarnation of it has been around since um, 2014. But um, it's actually, it, it had a longer history. It goes back to like the, the 90s. Uh, there, there was a promotion, NWA Mid-South. We took, we kind of combined forces with that former owner. And he let us kind of use his his title history and the history of his company, and that's where we named our company after. So mm-hmm. it just kind of all goes together. So uh, Pro Wrestling Mid South or NWA Mid South has been around since the nineties. Yeah, because I've heard the Mid South name even I think before the nineties. So I wasn't for sure if it was the same Mid South that's that because they produced a lot of talent back in the day too. Yeah, well, I mean, there was Mid- there was Watts's Mid South, which we don't ha- really have any affiliation with. Obviously, that's one of our you know biggest inspirations. But um, because I love Bill Watts and everything he kind of kind of did as far as a promoter and a booker goes. But um, Alvin Minnick was the original owner of uh, NWA Mid South, and you know his stuff was like I said in the, in the uh, mid to late nineties. And then um, you know he he's actually a veteran, so he ended up doing a couple tours of Iraq and things like that, and kind of got out of the business and got back in stuff like that. When it came time to start our own company, it was, you know, well, I'd like to be mid South, you know, just because it has a history here and um, I wanted to revitalize it. Right. So what got you into wrestling? Um, I know you, from what it sounds like you started pretty much during like the height of, you know, um, that WWF, ECW, WCW time period. But, um, I'm sure you had a much earlier, you know, influence on wrestling. So how did you get into wrestling? Yeah. I mean, uh, I tell people all the time, I I really feel like I was put on this earth to be a professional wrestler. My earliest memories of life are not of, you know, a a new bike or a birthday cake or anything like that. It's, it's sitting on my grandmother's knee watching professional wrestling. (laughs) Right. So, So, you know, she was a huge influence on me. You know, there was always wrestling on. I always loved it, you know. Um, but the first time I remember, there was a couple matches that I that I watched that I that absolutely have everything to do with me being a professional wrestler. And the first one was Flair Steamboat, two out of three falls from New Orleans. Um, you know, that was the first time I was like six years old at the time. And uh, when I watched that, that's the first time I actually said out loud, hey, I'm going to be a professional wrestler, you know? Right. And then the other match was um, when I got a little bit older, you know, I was 16, 17 years old and, you know, uh, Undertaker and Mankind, Hell in a Cell. <laughs> and like <laughs> that one for me was, wasn't necessarily that I wanted to get thrown off a 20 foot structure or anything like that. It was, right. you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be a professional wrestler and I love it as much as I say, I love it, then I have to love it as much as Mick Foley. Did. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it wasn't, um, and, and those are, and to me, that's two ends of the spectrum there. When you talk about Flair, Steamboat, Taker, Mankind, I mean, those, those, those two matches are about as different as you can get sometimes. Oh yeah. And, um, but they, but they still nonetheless had a huge impact on, on who I would later become. Yeah. That, um, Hell in a Cell match between Taker and Mankind, it's such a iconic moment for, hardcore wrestling and those two people's careers in general, because, you know, you, any normal person, you know, 
falling off a 20-foot cell, that's going to seriously hurt the hell out of him. I don't know how McFoley actually survived that whole match. Yeah, it's, it's insane to think about. I mean, especially now, you know, I'm, I'm almost 40. I turned 40 in June. And, like, thinking about taking a bump like that now just makes me cringe even, even to think about it. But, you know, he, he wasn't a young man when he did it either. You know, he was still in his 30s. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, and, you know, even past that, um, that WrestleMania match he had with Edge where I think he goes through that uh, flaming table too. Like, he was still taking, you know, pretty crazy bumps and stuff later in his career as well. How much time does it really take for you to prepare for a match that you're going into? And what all goes into your preparations? Um, it, it's gotten different over the years when I was a young man. <laughs> I used to sit in the back and, and, and talk and bullshit. And then, you know, someone say, hey, your match is up. And I get up and walk out there and have a 20, 30 minute match. <laughs> right. Uh, now that I'm older and, you know, I've had injuries and, you know, things like that. And I, I have to stretch out a little bit. I have to kind of get ready, you know, but um, it's still pretty much the same. You know, it's one of those things that I was kind of a natural when it came to professional wrestling. You know, it was, you know, a lot of people have to be taught how to do every little thing, but like right. I, if someone said do a sunset flip, I knew how to do a sunset flip. I just, from watching wrestling all my life, and I, that's why I think lifelong wrestling fans usually make some of the best professional wrestlers because there's just certain things you don't have to explain to people that have, you know, that love wrestling and watch it their entire lives. Um, so for me, it's, you know, I just mentally wise, I just want to go out there and, and, and do what needs to be done, tell whatever story we need to tell and, and uh, go out there and entertain the fans. You know, it's not necessarily that a lot of guys nowadays have the mentality of, I want to go out there and have five-star matches one right after the other. And that's not how, that's not how the business is supposed to work. And it's not how the business is supposed to progress either. Right. You know, so uh, I really think we need to, as a whole, I think that wrestling needs to slow down, obviously. And I think they need to, you know, uh, kind of find those greater nuances in professional wrestling you know, these guys are killing themselves for next to nothing. You know, yeah. um, if they would go out there and just tell stories and, and bump less, you know, work more. Does that make sense? Yeah. Then uh, then I think they'd be better off. Right. Yeah, because I, I feel like, especially with, say, AEW, you know, they get a lot of, you know, they get some flack for it. They always do the exact same dive spots or it looks a little bit too choreographed or ballet, yeah. you See, know, and that's when I start arguing with younger talent about, you know, uh, old school versus new school. One of the things they always try to bring up is, well, you guys did the same old shit, headlock this headlock that. And it's like, well, I'm watching your matches and I'm seeing 47 super kicks or 47 strikes of some kind. I'm seeing 30 Germans. I'm seeing 20 dives. I mean, who's doing all the same stuff, me or you? Right. You know? At least, at least my same stuff doesn't kill me. Right. Plus, it's like, you know, even back in the day, um, but say Jake, Jake the Snake Roberts, for an example, his uh, DDT at the time that was a finishing move, and yeah. you know, nowadays that's a very common practice wrestling move. Yeah. So it kind of, it seems like it kind of got downgraded, and you can do. 10 DDTs in a match, you know, that's, that's going to hurt like a motherfucker, but you know, you can do it, but it's like, 
I, I completely stopped watching current like WWE programming and AEW programming. And I, I'd say the last time I actually sat down and watched a SmackDown or even a Raw was WrestleMania 22, 23. I mean, if, was- and if it was, um, if it was someone like I was interested in, like if I wanted to watch like the Sting and Triple H match, then there's the WWE Network. I don't have to sit down and watch, you know, t- five other matches I'm not really interested in. So I think that wrestling, especially on like the higher TV televised section, I think it's definitely taken a drop for the worse. I mean, what the females have done, especially on NXT and WWE, I think it's really good stuff. But to me, the men are just not interesting at all. Like you, especially with WWE, they had John Cena on such a high pedestal for so long that he buried a bunch of new guys and it just seemed like they weren't really prepping for the future. They were just staying for the now. And I think now it's kind of starting to come back and bite them in the ass because so many current talent that they have, they're just not interesting to watch. Like everyone pretty much looks the same. They all have beards. Um, No offense to you, of course. Um, They all have, yeah, (laughs) very different. But um, they all have beer. They all have the exact same type of beard. They all have the exact same type of long hair. You know, there's nothing that makes anyone extremely stand out from anything, except for, yeah. I would say Roman Reigns. But Roman Reigns, he still looks like The Rock. He still looks like the Usos. Like he's not really super standout-ish. Well, the thing, let's, let's go back to like the Cena thing. It's not Cena's fault necessarily. No, no, you no. Know, like he, he. he he just came on a very weird time in professional wrestling. Like, and I've said, I've, I talk about this on my, on my podcast, things like that. There's the thing called the WWE conundrum. Yeah. What that is, is they've been telling the fans for so long that this is all fake. This is all phony. You know, that basically the people believe that all the decisions that WWE make are arbitrary. Right. Well, right. If, if, if you can make John Cena, the guy, then why can't you just make that guy the guy or this guy, the guy? something like that and it's not wrestling's a very organic thing right so the people have to get behind a lot of these people to do it wwe has all obviously stopped people in their tracks before like zach Ryder, yeah and things like that but it, it got to a point to where not only were they they in that conundrum but also because once they once the fans knew they picked somebody the fans would turn against them, right like everyone liked roman at first in the shield because they felt like they picked him out of that group, right? Yeah. So he started getting steamy, started getting over. And then the minute WWE goes, hey, this is our guy. This is who we're hooking the wagon to. Then everybody turned against him too. And what do they do? When they do something like that, then they automatically go for uh, what I consider like the anti-WWE guys, which would be like the Daniel Bryan, the CM Punk, and things like that. They try to find the most anti-WWE guy to get behind, you know, in place of that. You know? Right. The thing is that WWE would just – towed the line as far as uh, kayfabe goes and just, hey, you know, these decisions are are not arbitrary. They're all done for a reason, and that's why we book professional wrestling is for reasons. You know, I think people would have followed suit, especially if John Cena would have had a plethora of actual heels to work with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of guys say they're heel, but then they want to sell a bunch of T-shirts and say cool stuff and do cool moves too, 
And it just doesn't work like that. You know, you have to be, you have to have someone to be loved and someone to be hated. John Cena could have been the loved. We needed the hate. Yeah. Plus, I, what you're saying about the heels, you know, that's, to me, that's extremely for sure about, you know, The Undertaker, for instance, you know, you could not sit down and tell me, hey, look, Undertaker is a heel right now because, you know, he is such an over character that it's just like, what? He's a bad guy now. I mean, I don't see any difference here. Right. Well, there's there's and that's the thing, too. Like it gets to a point to where in most when you have a a big dominant heel, right, like an Undertaker, like a Kane. Um, like a Bruiser Brody, you know, guys like that, that they're so badass and they kick so much ass that eventually the people go, you know what? I kind of like this guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's just the progression of that, of that certain type of heel. Right. Um, now the type of heel that that doesn't happen with is the little chicken shit smarmy heel. (laughs) You know, the, the, the five foot 10 guy that'll, you know, wait till your back's turned. You know, and hit you in the hit you in the junk. You know that kind of guy. Like no one ever re- really likes that guy. That's why that kind of that kind of character always ends up getting more heat than those other characters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, obviously, we are starting twenty twenty one, and you know everyone knows how twenty twenty was last year. Um, with everything that was going on, especially in the middle part of the year, you know, since wrestling requires, you know, a lot of traveling and a lot of close contact, was there any concerns about how things were going to go moving forward during that time period where everyone was on lockdown and, you know, nothing was really, you know, certain? Yeah, I mean, for, for us, I mean, our local officials pretty much shut us down for five months, which was excruciating you know I, I wrestled for a living yeah you know so um it was it was very painful to me and like it was just it was a round robin of of blame someone else you know like um for us it was well you know the mayor actually is, is someone that i consider a friend <laughs> someone who's known me for many many years and like i'd ask him you know can we run and he'd go well it's not really up to me it's up to the police so then I called the police chief, who I know as well, and he said, well, it's not me, it's the DA. So then I finally get a hold of the DA, and the DA goes, well, my hands are tied. The governor released an order. So then I call the governor's office and get someone to tell them, well, hey, we've left it up to local officials. So it was just everybody just passing the buck, round and round we go. Right. Um, so it, it was it was a very frustrating situation because, you know, they didn't, want to, they didn't want to say, you know, at one point, the DA was telling me if I tried to run, he was going to uh, uh, charge me with a Class A misdemeanor and put me in jail for a year. You know what I mean? Really? So, just, just for doing wrestling? Like, that's crazy. Yeah, for having, for having a wrestling show. Because apparently that, that, that that's what I'm saying. And, like, we we actually – the the shutdown happened for about three months, and then we thought we were going to get to open back up. So we started we, – we actually had a show – in the middle of the show, the cops showed up and shut us down. Oh, wow. Yeah, in the middle of our show. You know, they basically said, hey, they said, you can keep going or you're going to you're gonna keep going or you can um, you can keep going or, or you can stop. I said, well, we're going to keep going. They said, well, if you keep going, we're gonna, the DA is probably going to charge you with a Class A misdemeanor and send you to jail. Right? So then I was like, well, that's really not much of a choice, is it? You right. know what I mean? 
So like we shut down the show and I was you know, obviously upset and I tried calling the DA and no one would talk to me. And it was just, it was just a big mess, you know? And, um, you know, the, I got on, I finally got online, I got fed up and got online and started posting about it. And like, you know, the police chief, you know, messaged me and was like, well, you know, we didn't really shut you down. We gave you a choice. I was like, yeah, but if you put a gun to my head and tell me to do something, what kind of choice is it? You know? Yeah. Because, tell me yeah, yeah, because it's like, you know, even though you're, you're, you are being given a choice. I mean, you're either, you know, having that choice to either, um, provide for your families and, you know, make money and everything like that and do your job or, you know, go to jail for doing something that you are trying to be profitable at. Yeah. And at the time, you know, we were, yeah. And, and it's, it's the illusion of safety. You know I mean? People were talking about wear a mask here, social distance here. Everyone's getting it anyway. Walmart was still open while this stuff was going on. Everyone was still open. You know what I mean? So it was like, it. Was, I felt very singled out. I was the last business that was allowed to open in, in, in my county or my city. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was tough. And I've, and I've expressed my, you know, my displeasure with that, you know? So, um, hopefully we we're kind of past that now, but yeah, it was, it's been a very difficult year overall, but I think we bounced back. We've been back since August. So we were shut down from the middle of March uh, to August. So what, um, what changes did you guys have to implement when you reopened? I mean, we basically, yeah, we do. We ask people to wear masks. We check people's temperature at the door. We ask them to social distance, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, a lot of these people, especially a lot of our fans, you know, these people have been going to wrestling with each other for almost a decade, you know? Right. So even though we tell them to, Hey, socially distance, a lot of them want to sit together because you know, yeah. they're friends and that's why they come to wrestling anyway. So yeah. that's completely, you know, it's a personal choice at that point. Plus it's, it's, it's really natural, especially when you're doing like an event or something, you, you want to be in the moment and everything and you want to be part of that crowd and you want to get hot you know, hyped and pumped up and everything like that. So I, I can see how that's kind of hard. You know, it's, it's so weird watching like WWE, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't watch it, but whenever they show a preview for the, uh, the Thunderdome or whatever it is, and yeah. they have the screens in there, it, it looks so odd the way they do it. And even with NFL, you know, having the cardboard cutouts, it gives that sense that there's someone there, but it's just not the same. It doesn't feel right at all when it's no, like it's, that. It's completely unnatural, right? Yeah. You know, our, our, our business, no matter what anyone wants to tell you nowadays, it's, it's a spectator sport. Yeah. It's about the crowd and feeding off the energy and getting certain reactions out of those people. Well, if you take away the people, then how do, how are you supposed to do your job? Oh yeah. You know? Um, and that's where a lot, you know, that's what I'm afraid. I'm afraid the WWE and places like that are going to go to a, they're not going to have fans anymore. It's going to be completely a television based product where they, they pipe in crowd noise and they give you the reactions that they want you to have in that situation. Right. Instead of the actual true reactions. You know, I've spent, I've spent the last 20 years breaking down how crowds react to certain things, you know? And that, and that knowledge is invaluable to me, but like if, if you can just, you know, tape it like a movie and put whatever reaction you want on top of it, 
then to me that kills the entire the entire base of our business. Right. Cause it's, you know, the the effect that say Undertaker's entrance has or, you know, Shawn Michaels entrance has or, you know, someone like that where to see it in person is such a different reaction to seeing it yeah. on TV. And I, I think doing that piped in crowd noise, it's too much control for the company and it's too much control for say in an NFL team where, you know, if something gets a, uh, like some, if someone gets a penalty for something and you're yeah. mad about it, but you hear cheers in the thing, you're, it's like you're being force fed what you yeah. should like and what you shouldn't like. It's, it's like older sitcoms that have laugh tracks where if you take the laugh track out of it, you know, that show isn't as funny as it, as it's made out to be because you are force fed. Oh, this is a funny moment or you're supposed to cheer at this moment, or this is supposed to be a dramatic moment. It's not natural for someone who you, you have to feed off the crowd. You have to feed off the energy. If you're a heel, be an asshole to the crowd. If you're a face, be awesome to the crowd. And you can't do that profession. You can't do that on the right scale when it's, you know, pumped in music or pumped in, you know, cheers and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at a guy like Ricky Morton, you know, Ricky Morton was one of the greatest baby faces of all time. And he would be getting beat down by the Russians. And, you know, he would, he would ever so slightly, you know, look at the people in the front row and kind of reach out for him, you know, and they would almost start to cry because, Oh, Oh my God, Ricky Morton in trouble. We need to help him. Right. You know what I mean? And like, if I if I went to WWE and tried to explain that to some of those guys, I don't know if they'd even understand what I was talking about. Well, you know it's, I mean, like, and how do you do that now with you know with it being one hundred percent just a television product? Right, and it's like um, a, a perfect example of it is the WrestleMania. I believe it's eighteen match between The Rock and Hulk Hogan, where Hulk right. Hogan goes in as the bad guy and rock is the good guy. And about halfway through that match, it gets flipped reverse because of the crowd. And if that match was going on today, that wouldn't be the same outcome of it. It would still be Hulk is the bad guy. Rock is the good guy because that is what WWE wants you to. That's what they want you to believe and wants you to feel. It's not a natural reaction to that. I mean, like, no one, especially, like, here's another prime example, Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg at WrestleMania 20, you know, because oh yeah, that, that was one of the first matches that the dirt sheets and the internet knew that Brock Lesnar was leaving, yeah, and they knew Goldberg was leaving, too, so they completely shit on the match. The fans did. To me, I think it's a good match just from the crowd reactions itself. Right. You know, <laughs> how unique that situation is. Yeah, if the, if we had that situation now, we wouldn't get that moment, and we wouldn't get an honest reaction from the people, uh, because you know WWE, like you said, they would pipe in whatever reaction they wanted. Right. And then, you know, they're it's getting to the point they're so overproduced anyway. Like you can't a guy doesn't cut a promo anymore; he reads a script. Yeah. And he doesn't do anything that that you know. I heard where they're actually on some of the stuff they're doing. Uh, they're doing multiple takes of a match, like they may do reshoots. Oh, we need to get a, a different shot on this drop kick. 
You know what I mean? Like, hey, go back up there and do a drop kick and we'll film. Well, you know like it's just completely taking the entire heart of our business out by doing that kind of stuff. You know, uh, there's a way, you know, obviously with the no people stuff, there's a way to still do professional wrestling um, to where it's, you know, I, people say sports entertainment, but the thing is like, I always feel that great professional wrestling is entertaining enough. Yeah. So, and if you don't like, if you don't like actual wrestling, well, guess what? There's, you know, 900 other channels that you can watch with something that you like, you know, why not leave professional wrestling to professional wrestling fans? Yeah. And I, I, I genuinely believe that sports entertainment monk here, I believe that seriously killed the big time professional wrestling aspect of it because you're right. Things are so overproduced. Like, like I said, I watched, you know, I tried to watch some of the new stuff, you know, just to get a feel for it. And the zoom angles on stuff, the way they hit, you know, it's just, it doesn't feel like, it did even 10 years ago when, uh, you know, you had Jeff Hardy, Edge, and all them in there. It's, it's like the blind leading the blind. You know I mean, it's guys that never really learned how to work teaching other guys to le- to not have – teaching guys how not to be able to work. Right. You know, like I'm watching – like I love Pete Dunne. I think Pete Dunne's great. But I watched him and Finn Balor last night, and I watched Finn Balor put a headlock on him, and literally there was, you know – this much daylight in between the headlock that he had on Pete Dunne. And it's oh, wow. like, this guy is supposed to be main eventing in WWE and he can't even do a fucking headlock. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't care if he can do the coup de gras off the top with the double foot stomp and all that kind of stuff. I don't care. If you can't lock up and you can't take a headlock and you can't do these basic things, you know, then what are you even doing wrestling? Your, your job is to make them believe from bell to bell, you know, yeah. or actually curtain to curtain. <laughs> so if if you can't make them do that if, if they see one part of your game and go well he doesn't really have a headlock on why the hell would they believe anything else in your match well it's like um i guess at the royal rumble the match between roman reigns and uh kevin owens i guess there was an issue with a pair of handcuffs and it was yeah. supposed to be a 10 count and the referee just completely stopped counting he the stopped. 10 count yeah i'm like that's that to me is like a severe breakdown of what a wrestling match is supposed to be. You could have counted him out and then, you know, say Kevin Owen wins the match and then Paul Heyman and Roman Reigns throws a big fucking fit since they're supposed to be heels anyway and forces the match to get restarted. And that would have been a better go at it than what they did because just having your referee stop and, just look around. I mean, that shows number one, no one knows what the hell they're doing. And number two, why would someone who watches the old school product, why would they stay watching this? You know, when you've had to go through all the stuff at the end of WCW's time period, you had to go through ECW closing down. You had to go through all these different things. And then you see something like that with WWE. You're like, this isn't even worth it at this point. Yeah. I mean, thing is shit, shit happens. We understand that. Like there, there's things that fuck up all the time when you're running a wrestling show. I promoted almost, you know, over 700 events now. Okay. And like none of them has ran completely perfectly. Right. <laughs> you know, there, there's always something. 
yeah, that was a colossal mistake. But here's the thing, too. It's like if you talk your way out of it. Yeah, you know I mean, if something messes up, you know how to do it. But if you learn how to, if you learn how to choreograph everything from start to finish first, then you don't know how to work. And then when something fucks up, you don't know how to get it back on track. So, like for me, like I'm sitting there watching that thing. I, I saw the same thing everyone else did. But to me, I would have, I would have had, if I was Roman, I would have told Paul, "Hey, go punch the other ref." Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Knock him out until we get this fucking thing undone. Right. And then we can do whatever. You know, but like they just, you know, like I said, they, you know, when something like that happens, you have to. And that's the first thing you, when you come up with a finish like that anyway, me as a promoter now and me as a booker, I always go, what can go wrong with this? Well, how about him not being able to get the fucking thing unlocked? <laughs> right. So let's make sure. Yeah, let's make sure you do it this way, not that way. Make sure this happens and not this happens. See what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you try to put in as many safeguards as you can, you know, but. Well, even if that, you know, those, um, they, I guess Paul Heyman should have had those handcuffs way beforehand to actually, you know, this is how you put the key in. This is how you unlock it. You know, just a well, little. Well, I think, I think it was too, I think Owens had done something too tight with it. I think he had put it in a different direction. Oh, uh, okay. To, like, like maybe the keyhole was on the backside of it and like you couldn't really get to it. See what I'm saying? Like, and yeah. just fucked everything up. <laughs> wow um so if you were going to do if you were going to do a little bit of selfless uh promotion what would be the top two matches of yours that you would recommend to people checking out your product like what would be your top two matches that you would show anybody like that i've ever had or stuff that's actually available on youtube <laughs> um that, you, that you've ever had. That I've ever had. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think one would be uh, me and Jay Lethal had a match in Arkansas a long time ago, probably 10 years now. Um, but Jay was actually the Ring of Honor television champion at the time, and I was the TCW traditional championship wrestling junior heavyweight champion at the time. Right. And it was one of those things where – you know, Jay Lethal didn't know me from Adam. He never heard of me before and met me that day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but we went out there and tore the house down. You know what I mean? Like, I just had a really great wrestling match. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it, it, the, we had the fans in the palm of our hand the entire time. And, like, you know, I, you know, he, he, you know, he asked me to slap him in the middle of the match. You know, stuff like that. It was just it was just one of those magic matches we talk about. And we got the back and he was just like, almost like dumbfounded. He's like, you're really good. You know what I mean? I didn't like, I didn't expect you to be that good. You know what I mean? And, uh, so he, he was, he was, that was really a good, um, you know, self-confidence thing for me because, you know, I think Jay Lethal is one of the best wrestlers in the world. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and for him to give me that rub and I actually went over that night too, you know, and uh, that kind of thing. It, it was a pretty cool moment. Um, other than that, I mean, I've had some, you know, some of the stuff, you know, I, I had heart surgery in um, 2017. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it was a scary situation. I had major heart surgery. It turns out I have a heart defect that no one knew about until, until all that. So I was wrestling with a 90% blockage in my Widowmaker for close to a year, and no one knew. Oh, wow. So I could have died at any time. So 
Um, that was a scary situation, but you know, I, I was out of the ring for four months, which was the longest time I had ever been out of out of the ring, you know, since I'd been wrestling. Right. Um, and when I came back, I came back and had had a, a match for the unified heavyweight title against Simon Reed, and just just that moment of coming back and just that moment of you know eventually having that match and, and winning the title and things like that. That was a, that was just a good a feel good moment for me. You know what I mean? Because I told people when I, when I, you know, told people I was going for the heart surgery, I, I didn't hundred percent know what was going to happen, but I said, I was going to be back. You know what I mean? I was going to be back and I was going to be better than ever because I was, I called myself the best, of the best. And I was a breath away from a heart attack. How do you think, how, how good do you think I'm going to be when I get back? Right. You know, and people believed it, you know? So when I came back, you know, I was, I was ready to go balls to the walls. When you, um, after the heart surgery, was there any hesitation to get back in the rain? Were you ever, were you ever just no. nervous about it or concerned that something could go wrong after that? Well, I mean, there's always that, that little underlying thing now, but I mean, as far as, you know, me, like I said before, I, I believe I was put on this earth to be a professional wrestler and, and you know, this kind of, the heart surgery and all that kind of stuff, it led me to find my faith, and God and Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I really believe that God used professional wrestling to save my life because, um, you know, there was, you know, I was born with this heart defect that no one knew about. And I played basketball all through school. And then I started wrestling when I was 18. And the doctor told me that if I wouldn't have done those things, that uh, my condition probably would have killed me in my 20s because. I had strengthened my heart so much from all the cardio of doing wrestling and, and basketball, you know, that, uh, my heart was just basically too strong and it was overcompensated. So like I said, I had a 90% blockage in my Widowmaker, but I also had two 70% blockages elsewhere in my heart. Right. And I had three, those three main blockages total. And my heart is, I only have one direction. Like most people have a left and a right. Yeah. I only have a left. I have no right arteries. So it only goes one direction. So if I'd been blocked at any point, it would have been, been a massive heart attack. Wow. So, you know, I think I think God, you know, gave me a passion for this business, you know, so I could, you know, use this business, you know, to to further his word almost. Right. Well, it, it definitely sounds like you're really lucky to be here after that because, man, I, if I was in that situation, I would really. Well, the thing was, the thing was too. Like I, you know, if I didn't wrestle, I'd probably be three hundred fifty pounds because I love food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like everything that I've ever done to stay somewhat healthy and eat somewhat right is because I want. Yeah, hey, I gotta go wear spandex on the weekends. Yeah. You know. <laughs> So like everything was always about wrestling and, you know, I, I never wanted to go out there and just have matches either. So I always want to be in, in ring shape, you know, so I've, I've wrestled nonstop since I was 18, you know? So it's like, um, you know, all those things kind of, kind of all came together. Like I, I was originally born in Illinois and in Illinois there's, you know, there's, there's some professional wrestling. But it's not as prevalent as is here in West Tennessee, where you can't throw a rock without hitting a, a weekly wrestling show. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like 
I ended up in the middle of all that. You know, it just, it just, there's too many coincidences to call them coincidences. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is something that the indie wrestling companies like Mid South do better than WWE or AEW? Well, what we do is we actually teach people how to wrestle. You know, like AW and things like that. It's basically, you know, you've seen it. It, it looks like circus, uh, Cirque du Soleil, or however you say it. It looks like, you know, the circus or anything like that. It just it looks like a tumbling act. Right. You know, um, to where we're actually selling professional wrestling. Uh, we teach guys how to, you know, get over in that old school fashion. Like you were talking about Jake the Snake and the DDT earlier. In pro wrestling itself, that's a finish. The DDT still is a finish. You know, one of our wrestlers, that's his finish. is a just a standard DDT, and uh, and people react to it just like they did with when Jake did it. Right. You understand? Like it's still believable as a finishing maneuver. The thing we we don't do Canadian destroyers. We don't do anything just outrageous. You know, I I love. I think wrestling needs to progress, but I think it needs to progress within the confines of the core values of our business and the core value is of course, you know, you know, sell everything, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Like everything's supposed to hurt. Like nowadays, like, you know, a guy gives a guy a superplex off the top rope and they both bounce up immediately. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever taken a superplex or not, but superplexes hurt. Yeah. And like, they're not even, not only are they not selling the move, but they're not selling it for how it actually feels. You understand, like how dumb is that? Like it actually oh, yeah. hurts when you fall off the top rope to the mat, and they're getting up, like they're like, uh, you know, getting up and not selling it at all. Like how stupid is that? Right. Well, it's like uh, it's like the Hulk Hogan effect. It's like he, he acted like back in the day, like you could shoot him in the chest and he'd just huff and puff and rip his shirt off and shit. <laughs> But it was only, but with Hogan, it was only after he had got his ass. Right. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I know Hogan gets a bad, and trust me, you take everything you hear from Hulk Hogan with a grain of salt, okay? Because, you right. know, you don't know what's what's true and what's lie half the time. But, like, as far as wrestling goes, people forget, like, he was drawing a shit ton of money. And also, like, he sold, he got in there with Terry Funk and, and uh, King Kong Bundy and Orndorff and all those guys. He sold for him. He was 300 pounds, you know, however big he was in the biggest store in the world. And he still sold until it was time for that big company. And it was, it was basically the same thing as, you know, Jerry Lawler. You know, that's where he got it from. The whole Hulk up thing is actually just him dropping the strap. Right. You because know, he spent that time in Memphis. So, I mean, it all works. It's just how you work it all together. And piece it all together. Do you feel like with WWE catering more towards, you know, kids and stuff like that, do you feel like that's really hindered their, you know, progression into moving and bettering their product? Because I know, I know, with a lot of the indie got indie companies, you don't necessarily have to be super kid friendly. You can, you have a lot more playability because you're not catering to you know, big sponsors or TV or what that you're allowed to be more just you guys. So do you feel like that's kind of hurting their product more? Or? No, I actually, 
I, I'm a fan of family-friendly professional wrestling. And the reason I, I say that is because, like, listen, I was a huge ECW fan chick. Right. Right. Like I said, we, I got started in, in 2000, like you said, in, in that era. And I was an 18-year-old kid. So, of course, I loved, you know, the violence and the beer and the, and the nudity and all that kind of stuff. You know, I completely understand that as, you know, but now I'm sitting here, I'm 39 years old, and I'm thinking about, well, you know, what the Attitude Arrow did was, and we saw this six or seven years after, like when I got in the business, there was what, 30, 40 of us at a time that tried to get in. Yeah. That's how hot wrestling was right then. Right? Yeah. It was 30, it was literally about 30 guys that, that lived in my immediate area that we all tried to break into the business at the same time. Fast forward about five or six years, and like no one's trying to get in the business. And we couldn't figure out why. And it, can't, it dawned on me one day. It's because those guys were 10, 11, 12 years old, and their parents turned off WWE. Yeah. Because they didn't want them seeing that kind of stuff. So what they did was we didn't have a, a huge crop of new wrestling fans coming in. So for me, I want a family-friendly product because wrestling's always kind of been a, like a family thing anyway. Yeah. I don't think that it necessarily has to be vulgar to be entertaining either. So like for me, it's like if you make if you gear your product towards, I don't want to say hokey and kids, but make it kid friendly. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Make it kid friendly, then you're going to get the kids, but then you're also going to get the parents. You know, because there's not a lot of people that wake up one day at 40 years old and go, "Hey, I want to be a wrestling fan," unless. They have kids, <laughs> right? Right. Then all of a sudden they have to be wrestling fans because their kids are wrestling. Fans, right. Yeah. Absolutely. So like to me, it's just a broader spectrum of, you know, if this is, if this is the way we can do it, we can, we can appease everybody and have more chance to make money. And this way we're just, we're niching our product too much. Wrestling is already kind of on the borderline of being niche anyway. Yeah. Right. Cause like, we're not as big as movies. We're not as big as music. We're not as big as some of these other things. But we're also not, you know, uh, what was the, were they rollerblade and not rollerblade, um, rollerball. You know, we're not rollerball oh, yeah. or anything like that either, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like we're, 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 we're very popular, but we're not as popular as music and movies, but we're still, we're still being, we're still able to sell out Madison Square Garden and things like that. Yeah, exactly. You know? So we're, we're still kind of on the niche, but like guys nowadays are just trying to niche it all the way down, like the Joey Ryans and all these people that are doing just, just absolutely vulgar, vulgar kind of wrestling. They're, they keep alienating us all the way down. Like, and here in my area, I've been asked about, you know, people sent me links to Joey Ryan and say, Hey, is this the kind of wrestling you do? And I'm like, no, not at all. Right. You know? And like, that hurts us when we go to try to, you know, we try to go get a school or we try to do something for community. We try to do this. People have this preconceived notion of this is what wrestling is now. And we, we all get painted with that same brush. Yeah. So I'm very more for like my shows. You can bring your seven year old daughter or your seven year old grandmother and it's going to be fine. Right. You know? uh, so what is you probably already touched on this a little bit, but what would you say your biggest pet peeve is in the wrestling community? Because, you know, from a fan perspective and just, you know, from observations, you always get those fans or you get those fans, I should say, in quotation marks 
who are like, oh, this is trash wrestling. This is, you know, this is fake wrestling or yada, yada, yada. Or you, you get those type of people in there. I mean, that that has got to be the most annoying thing in your that industry in your industry but i, I may yeah. be wrong <laughs> we you know, i touched on it on on our podcast too was you know the f word you know fake yeah you know and how how to handle that and, and that kind of thing and that, and that does bother me and what i usually tell people is fake to who is it fake money that i make is it all the fans that are there to cheer us on or are they figments of my imagination i mean i don't understand the word fake you're using it to be derogatory but it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Right. Um, obviously there's that whole adage, you know, Hey, come train with us one day and you'll see. Yeah, and that's exactly. True too. Like I get three to five messages a week about people training and then very few of those people fall through, but nine out of 10 people that actually come and train one day with us, never come back. <laughs> they do one day of training and then they're done. And that's kind of a point of pride with me because I'm not, I'm not doing anything um, out of my way to hurt them. I'm not doing anything out of the realm that I wouldn't normally ask anyone to do. They're just, they're going through one day of actual professional wrestling training and they're doing one specific type of bump and like they never come back right. because they realize this is a lot harder than I thought it was. But actually probably my biggest pet peeve, and it's, it doesn't make me mad. It's just, it's kind of like an annoying kind of thing. It's like when someone comes up to me and says, yeah, I'd like to get into wrestling. I'd like to, I think I'd really be good at creative, you know? And it's like, are you nuts? Right. <laughs> How are you going to sit here and tell me that you've never been involved in professional wrestling at all? You've never been a referee, an announcer, a ticket taker, concession stand, anything, you know, you never helped in any way, shape or form, but you're going to tell me you can be a booker. Right. You can actually, figure out the psychology of professional wrestling and manipulate situations and, and do all those kind of stuff. Like that is the hardest job in professional wrestling. I would guess there's less than a hundred people in the United States today that are actually capable of being full-time pro wrestling bookers, you know? Yeah. And for someone to come up and say, Hey, I've got all, everyone can have ideas. Like someone can go, Hey, it'd be great if Dolph Ziggler was the heavyweight champion. Okay. Well, how do you get there? Yeah. How do you make that mean the most? Like how, tell me how you're going to make Dolph Ziggler the biggest star in professional wrestling so he can carry your title and care and pop your houses up and things like that. You know, people don't have those answers. You know, they just think, Oh, I, I think he looks cool with the title. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you could really change the heel face role and outcome of one match, what would, what would it be? Um, well, actually, you know, we touched on it earlier, but uh, I got asked—I got asked this not too long ago too. I actually said I would change—I um, would change Angle versus HBK because that's Ooh. one of my favorite matches from WrestleMania. WrestleMania 21 was Angle and HBK, right? Yeah. And like, you think how great that match was. Now think about them switching heel baby, and then thinking how different it would be, but still how great it would still be. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, to me, I think that would be my, my go-to right there, just because uh, I, I always liked heel Shawn Michaels anyway. Uh, I, was, I think he's a better baby face, but yeah. heel Shawn Michaels is still awesome. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, like, I, I think that – I think it would be a lot uh, – it would be very interesting at least. Yeah, and that's uh, 
that match with Angle is probably the number one match that when someone says Shawn Michaels can't wrestle, he, he he's just a show off and shit like that. Like that is the one match that I'll say, hey, go watch Angle versus Michaels because his chain wrestling in there is very good. He is technically oh, yeah. a very good wrestler. Yes, he is very show offish, but that's his character. That is what he's getting paid to do. And I, I mean, I was like, I was even surprised. I was like, damn, he's really holding his own with Kurt Angle, who's an Olympic gold medalist in wrestling. And yeah. he's, he's doing just as good for a while. Yeah, like Sean, Sean can do it all. And that's what made, to me, that's what makes him, you know, the best, you know, in my opinion, because yeah, he can literally go out there with anybody and just tear the house down or just have whatever match you wanted him to have. He could have, you know, like with Triple H at the SummerSlam match, that was an unsanctioned match. They had just this big brawl, yeah. you know, with, with all these great uh, ups and downs. And that was amazing. He Iron Man match with Brett, you know, the matches he had with Benoit, the match, you know, with Angle. I mean, there's even a match from when Chris Masters first got to the WWE, yeah. and he, had, he worked him on a pay-per-view, I think, and it was a really good match. I mean, just everybody he worked with, it seemed like it was perfect, and it upped whoever else, everyone else's game. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I try to pattern myself a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, how, what, that's what you have to ask yourself. Like, in this, in this particular situation, in this match, how do we get this over? How do we get this whole thing over, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, for me... Shawn Michaels is absolutely top three for me. Um, I've always I've always been a huge Shawn Michaels fan. I've been a huge Bret Hart fan, and I've been a huge Roddy Piper fan. Um, and just I don't think I've ever really seen a bad Shawn Michaels match like when he was when he was with the Rockers and Marty Jannetty, which I always felt you know going back you know especially with the WWE network where you have the ability to go back and watch a lot of those older matches. I really wish that feud with him and Marty Jannetty had kind of gone for just a little bit longer, just one more real match. You know, if it yeah. was, if it was around back then, I would have loved to see those guys in like an, I quit match or a first blood match, because I think if that feud had gotten just a little bit more bitter, I think it would have sold very well for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could have. They definitely could have got a little more like, you know, Marty is, you know, Marty's nuts. Yeah. You know, if you follow, if you follow him on Facebook, some of the stuff that he says is just out there. And if if, if that's what he puts on Facebook, can you imagine what he says in person? Oh God, um, yeah. Yeah. So I I don't know what I think it was more of a business situation of with him, like you know, he would get drunk, and I think one time he got fired because he. He stole the the tour bus in Europe, you know, something like that. You know, it's always something with Marty Jannetty. I don't know, right? I but think like, wasn't it like a at the end of last year, like he was he he posted something about getting paid a hundred thousand dollars to do a porno with somebody. Yeah. Then he was talking about he killed a guy in, in Ohio back in the seventies. The right. one that really the one that really upset me though was okay. So a couple years ago. One of my buddies was talking about, you know, booking Marty Jannetty, right? So I added him to Facebook, and uh, I started following him, right? And uh, 
one day he posts this picture of this girl. He says, Hey, this is so-and-so. Um, I used to date her mom back in the day. And, uh, she came to me and thought that I might be her dad. Right. So we've been, she's been like my daughter for the past year, year and a half. Uh, but we finally got the test take and, you know, I'm not her dad. Isn't she really hot? You think I should date her? And I was like, are you nuts? Oh man. It was so, I was like, Oh my God. I like immediately messaged my buddy. I was like, okay, let's not book Marty Jeanette. Right. <laughs> uh, then he tried to play it off by saying he got, I think he's trying to say he got hacked a couple of days later, but it was like, <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so when new talent comes in, you know, just completely fresh faces, what do you really look for in upcoming talent? And how, how do you know, that this person has something or this person just really should stick to watching wrestling? Well, I try to look at people objectively, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't, everyone I think needs to, the main thing is the eye test, right? You know, everyone says, well, they have to look a certain way. And I'm, right. listen, I've been accused over the years for not being the greatest of shape and, and maybe not passing the eye test myself. So I'm a little more lax on that kind of thing. I want to see if people, are willing to learn are willing to, you know, check their egos at the door and whatever, especially with new trainees, I tell them whatever you think, you know, about professional wrestling, you know, I want you to forget that because I'm fixing the, I'm fixing to blow your mind on all this because it's not about the Finn Balors and, you know, the Joey Ryan's and, you know, all that kind of stuff that you think are getting millions and millions of, of views on YouTube. It's about professional wrestling and doing what's right about for that. Right. You know, so there's lots of guys that I think are really good and have good talents, but you know, they're dumb as a box of rocks and they don't understand professional wrestling. And so they're just going to, they're going to go out there. They're going to do what they want to do. And that's fine. They're, they're just not going to do it on my show. Right. You know, we're going to have guys that understand professional wrestling, that old school professional wrestling, even though it's 2021 old school professional wrestling still works. Yeah. And that if you present, if you present it in a, in, in the right well, in the correct light, then everyone wins, you know, and um, my young guys, you know, I just want them to to get the feel for that basic formula of a match. There's no reason to go out there and do, you know, 75 false finishes, you know, because they're, they don't care about any of that. You know, a lot of stuff we do has straight comeback finishes, which is, you know, guy comes out of the heat, boom, 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 makes his comeback ends up winning the match or he gets fucked in the finish somehow. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of our matches just have that basic formula and that works because that's how we tell stories. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for anyone who's like the old stuff doesn't work, that's bullshit. Why do you think so many fans out there watch the old stuff? Why do you think it's harder for them to transition into the new, the new um, product? It's because, they love Ultimate Warrior. They love Jake the Snake Roberts. They love Ted DiBiase. They love uh, Scott Steiner and stuff like that because that's really what they grew up on. But that's what's most mostly entertaining for a lot of people is that older product where you had that stuff happen. Well, also, too, it's like, and it's so hypocritical because, you know, anytime we give them old school stuff now, the internet blows up with how great it is. 
like Cody Rhodes and 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 Dustin in AEW a few years ago. They did they had an old school bloodbath brother versus brother wrestling match. Yeah, and every and that was the match of the year probably right. And everyone blew up at how great it was, but they don't. It's like they can't see the writing on the wall. I get so mad at some of the younger guys when they go, "Well, wrestling's changed. You can do anything. You can be anyone." You know, it, it can do this. It can be that. I can be an alien from another planet. I can flip you with my penis. I can do this. I can do that. And I go, okay, I want my professional wrestling to be a spectator sport based in reality. And it's like a sporting competition. And they look at me and they go, oh, no one will believe that. anymore." Well, that's completely, completely, you know, contradictory to what you just said. You said it could be anything. Yeah. So my way doesn't hurt your way. But your way hurts my way for sure. I, I've like I just don't understand why that thought process gets thrown out there as much as it does in in the wrestling community because it it seems like so many wrestling fans they contradict what they say and what they post online because a lot of it will be like oh I like the old school product but the old school product sucks it's like. Then what What do you like then? I get mad when they say it's, it's the same thing every time. Every time I, I get into an argument with some millennial about wrestling, it's always um, oh, all they used to do in the old days was have a headlock for 40 minutes. Okay, no, that's not what they did. Yeah. But even if they did, it was still more over than whatever you're doing. You understand? Like, I watched a match with Dusty Rhodes and Barry Windham from 88 where Barry Windham literally did have the iron claw on Dusty for 20 minutes. And for 20 minutes, those people were invested in Dusty Rhodes and that iron claw. Right. Right? So what is the difference? I would much rather be in an iron claw for 20 minutes and have the people on the edge of their seats than go out there for 20 minutes and just bump my ass off and people sit on their hands. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they, they... they're not looking at it objectively. They're looking at it. I call it uh, masturbation matches. You know, where basically they're the only ones getting shit out of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They go out there and do all this kind of stuff because they want to do it instead of, hey, what is actually going to work here? What is actually going to get over? What are these fans, you know, actually will invest their, their time and money? In? Yeah. Plus, I mean, it's like uh, the Iron Man matches, like with Brett and Sean. I don't see that working as well as it did back then today because people don't invest time into anything anymore. Like, um, I'm not sure if you watched it or not, but uh, WandaVision on Disney Plus, you know, I, I thought it was a really good show. But like literally after the first episode, it pissed me off so much <laughs> because people were like, Oh, this is boring. What's what, why am I watching this? It's it's, dude. It's the first show. Yeah, they let's have see, to build let's see them. How it. Develops. Yeah, and it's like it's like people don't have patience for anything over ten minutes anymore. And if like an Iron Man match, an hour long Iron Man match was to happen today, I just personally on a WWE AEW level, I don't see it working as good as it did, you know, 20 years ago with, you know, Brett and Sean. Well, it was the Iron Man match was a hard sell in 96. Yeah. But 
Um, I'm going to tell you, I, I actually did have an Ironman match um, in 2019. And um, I'm going to send you the link when we get off here so you can watch and you tell me how we did. Okay. Uh, but for to me, I mean, we we did that kind of stuff. And this is, this is Tennessee. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something about Tennessee. Tennessee isn't big on chain wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, they would much rather see the good old-fashioned redneck, you know, fight, the punch kick, you know, heated angle kind of stuff than they would a Mac Classic sometimes, right? right. But we we went into Ripley, Tennessee, and, and in front of those fans and had an hour-long 60-minute Ironman match. And uh, I think we did really well, and the people were there to the very beginning, to, to the very end. So, I mean... Uh, I'd like to, I'd like for you to watch it to see if if we may work and that's I think that's part of my thing if you we created this world in pro wrestling in the south of where this kind of stuff is possible you know what I mean so it's more palatable and acceptable in my company than it would be maybe on a national level but if someone were to take over that could implement that kind of stuff with AEW and WWE just the basic stuff to make the building blocks so you can get to this kind of stuff it would make the world a difference right. No, you're absolutely right. And like I said, I just, I think it can work if it's done good and everything like that. But yeah. everyone's I'll, got short attention spans. I understand. Yeah, exactly. But like you, and that's what I'm saying. You have to have, it has to be the right two guys, number one. Yeah. And it has to be for people. And that's what I'm saying. It has to be professional wrestling. You can't go out there and, and give yourself, you know, 200 moves a piece in an hour and expect people to like it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I've yeah. watched some of these NXT matches and these AEW matches, stuff like that. And it's like, like what hurts? You tell me what move hurts. I, I, I use this as a, an example not long ago, too. It's watching wrestling today is like watching a basketball game. And every time a team scores, the score is still 0 0, right? Yeah. And then in the last 30 seconds, somebody scores, it's 2 2 0, and that guy wins. Right. Yeah. It's like there's no rhyme or reason to what they're doing. You understand if if he if you've ever been punched in the face or, you know, anything like that, you understand how things hurt. Yeah. You know, but like I said, they're not selling anything. You know, everything is, you know, everybody. It's almost like you have to have a shotgun to kill to beat somebody. Now. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, now, like I mentioned before at the top of the episode, you host a podcast called 30 Minute Midas Touch. What do you really talk about on your show and what got you into podcasting? Well, I, as you can tell, I mean, I love talking about professional wrestling. Professional wrestling is my passion, period. Right. Uh, I, I believe that I was put on the surf to do this and, and that's what I'm going to do. But Cornette really, I, I felt, you know, Cornette, I love Cornette stuff. He's very vulgar. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? And, some yeah. instances, and I can be vulgar too, but I try not to be on the podcast, you know? So I try to keep it more family friendly on there. But also, you know, I felt like he was him and Arn Anderson and Jim Ross are all these guys that are saying this kind of stuff, but they're all, you know, 60, 70 years old, you know? Right. Um, so here I am, I'm in my thirties still. I felt like someone of my generation or at least someone to bridge the gap needs to be talking about these kind of things too. So it doesn't just come off as this dinosaur, you know, oh, they're just old and that's why they don't understand this kind of thing. No, I'm, you know, I'm almost 40, but I'm not ancient. 
You understand? I've been wrestling for the last 20 years. I understand where it's gone and where we came from, you know? Yeah. Um, and I still think the way the Cornette and them think, I think that all this old stuff can work. So that's kind of what my podcast is kind of based on. Like we take a one subject and we do a 30 minute, it's called a 30 minute minus touch. And that's why we talk about it because one 30 minutes, I felt like, you know, everyone does podcasts and they go hour, two hours, three hours, four hours in some cases. And it's like, I don't think a lot of people have enough time to invest in some of that stuff sometimes. So for me, I'm just asking for 30 minutes of people's time, you know, so they can listen to me on the way to work or maybe in the shower or whatever they're doing as they're doing chores, whatever, just 30 minutes. And we pick one subject, you know, I've done WWE and AEW. Then I get into more stuff like match structure and like, you know, like I said, uh, the F word, the fake, you know, we got into that. And like this, my, this past episode that just, uh, came out, um, yesterday is, um, suspension and disbelief you know we talk a lot about that and jobbers and you know just whatever you know i pick one subject and kind of say as much as i can about it in 30 minutes right and what were really some of the challenges of you know when you started your podcast originally what were some of the challenges that you found out starting um well you know we're still very new we've We've got 12 episodes, I think, so we're, we're, we're still very, very new. But, you know, I've got a co-host, and me and him have known each other for, you know, 20 years. He's a wrestling fan from this area that, that you know, he, he just understands the business. And I felt like he would be a good counterpoint to me as far as asking questions or maybe looking at it from a fan perspective so we can right. kind of get that uh, answer those questions. Um, the main thing for me is, like, 30 minutes. I can talk three hours on stuff like we talked about. Yeah. You know, but like I'm trying to boil it down to 30 minutes, you know, so there's some stuff we come in and we think, yeah, how are we going to talk, you know, 30 minutes on this, on this one particular subject. And then we get done. We're like, man, we have we have a ton more stuff we can talk about, you know, so that leaves the door open for more content, you know, and, and possibly part twos and things like that. Right, exactly. And, you know, th this episode is actually going to end up being a two parter as well. <laughs> um, right. Didn't actually intend on it being two parts, but you know, you you bring in so much good information to the episode that you know I definitely don't mind it at all. Um, now what what do you think the hardest thing is about podcasting for you? Because I know for me, it's you know distribution is always one of those things that you you constantly look at how you can improve your podcast you always look at how how am i going to get this out there more how how do i reach more people on it and you know the like facebook podcasting groups they're they're pretty good for that but at the same time and I, i've brought it i've called it like this before but those podcasting groups on facebook especially it's like you're a used car salesman and you're at a dealership and you're trying to sell your product to other car salesmen at the same right, time. Right. So it yeah. makes it harder for you to grow your audience when you're out there promoting your product to other people who are promoting their product at the same time. And occasionally, yes, you are going to get someone who stays as a full-time listener, but it's very hard to get like that. So how do you go about 
promoting your product? How do you go about growing your viewership for Midas Touch? Um, well, this kind of all started kind of organically for me too, was, you know, I, on my Facebook, I would say, Hey, you know, I've got 20 minutes. Let's do a Q and a, and like I would have fans and other wrestlers and just ask me questions. And instead of saying yes or no, or, you know, just random answers like Ric Flair, you know, something like that, I would actually <laughs> kind of go in depth with a lot of stuff. And the more I start talking about wrestling, the more people would, you know, um, be interested in my thought process and, and how I wore things and my viewpoint on everything. So that's kind of what got me started on thinking about the podcast in general, you know, cause like to me it was like you said, it, it's so oversaturated with so many, so much out there, Yeah, you know, like how do you get, how do you stand out and all that? So for me, it wasn't um, for me, it was just, I'm looking for people that are interested in my viewpoint on it. You know, if you, if you don't want to, if you don't like my viewpoint, if you don't think you're going to like it, that's fine. Don't listen to me. I'm not, I'm not, right. not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be hurt by that. You know, like I, I, in my pilot episode, I told everybody if, if you like Joey Ryan or you think, you know, Kenny Omega is the greatest thing since sliced bread, then this is not the podcast for you, you know? So, um, for me, the hardest thing for me has been like, I'm not a technical guy at all. Like I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm middle of the road when it comes to tech savvy. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so like I have someone that helps me with, with that aspect of it. But um, so if anything goes wrong with that, I can't fix that. So that, I have a technical guy that does that kind of stuff. So that, that was the biggest thing for me. As far as getting people to listen, I just kind of, I just kind of put it out there into the world as far as, you know, we we're on uh, anchor, you know, which anchor kind of distributes to, to many, many uh, different people you know we're on google and we're on um we're on google and we're on um you know pocket cast and uh spotify and youtube and like a lot of the main ones like that so and it it, it distributes it for us except on youtube you know we put it on youtube but um yeah for uh for that purpose you know like i just want people to to hear my thought process and maybe Cause like to me, the, the vacuum gets filled, right? The void gets filled. So if, if no one's out there, if someone's out there talking about how new school is this and like guys need to do business like this, it's not like that anymore. That old school stuff doesn't work anymore. If someone's out there saying that, then I need to be out there saying, no, you're wrong. Yeah. You know, so that at least there's the, the other viewpoints out there. So at least we have someone that can go, okay, I, I can make my decision now instead of just listening to one guy. You know, or or, uh, or a host of guys that say that kind of thing. You know, so if it's if it's me and Cornette and Arn Anderson and Jr. that all say, "Hey, this old school stuff will still work if you do it," you know, then I, I'm hoping that you know that'll turn some heads around. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, you know, there's so many pod, there's so many wrestling podcasts that. You know, I, I've listened to Talk is Jericho, for instance, for a little while. But after like the third episode, I was just like, I can't listen to Chris Jericho anymore. <laughs> like, I, I think he's a great wrestler. I think he's a great talker. But sitting down and listening to him for an hour and a half talk, he comes off very, 
I don't know, like snobbish a little bit. Like it, it seems like he is kind of like his character and kind of a douchebag. <laughs> right, right. But um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like the way that like Jericho is switched directions. Like now he's with the cool kids at the cool kids table, and all of a sudden, you know, none of that, none of that stuff he learned for the last twenty five years matters. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, it's like. Like I have a huge problem with the referees in AEW because the referees in AEW are just—it's just ridiculous. I mean, I'm seeing so many more, you know, three counts where a guy's shoulder is completely up, you know, than I oh, ever yeah. had in professional wrestling before. And it's like that's just because hey, they said this is the finish, so you're going to count three here instead of a referee going if your shoulders ain't down. That's a basic thing, right? Yeah, if exactly. the guy's shoulders are down, you count to three. If they're up, you don't. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, no, it goes back to like what I was saying earlier about the WWE referee. It's like it doesn't matter if there's a technical issue or something. You're 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 still supposed to do your job to the best of your ability. If you're not yeah. able to do that, then you don't need to be on that level of exposure because you're showing that the product is still sloppy in certain instances. And, you know, like you said before, shit happens, but it can't happen repeatedly over and over again, because that's showing that you're not trying to improve anything. It's showing that you are very complicit in the way things are right now, that you're not really worried about getting them to a better point. Yeah. I mean, and like the the referee is supposed to be the the one guy that's pretty much legit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like his job is to count a three count. If someone gets low blow, call it his qualification. I mean, like those things if they happen in front of a referee, you know, you're supposed to it's supposed to be legitimate, you know. My son is um thirteen years old and he's, you know, five foot eight, five foot nine, two hundred and twenty pounds. So he's a referee right now. <laughs> right. But he, you know, I wouldn't do that if he wasn't as big as he is, right? Yeah. But he's, he's 13 years old and he's big as he's big as anyone else. So why not, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I tell him the same thing: don't pull your count. If they don't kick out, that's on them. You understand? It's their job to kick out. It's your job to count. Yeah, exactly. So keep your keep your count consistent, and then let it go from there. You know? Yeah. So and, and that's what. And also, if if you know that's the finish, then the guy should have their shoulders down. It just—I say this all the time: when when something goes wrong, catastrophically wrong, it's not because one thing went wrong; it's because three. You know what I mean? Like when uh, what's his name? Uh, not Sammy Guevara. What's the other Sammy? Um, I can't even think of it right now. You know, you know what I'm talking about though. The, the guy that was an MLW and Impact, Sammy. Oh man, he, he wrestled Tessa Blanchard, unfortunately. I sort I sort of know who it is, but like, I can't. A couple years ago, you know, he he had that baseball bat, and he put it on the guy's chest. He put the the chair on the guy's chest and went to hit, take the baseball bat and hit the chair. And it bounced off the chair, and he missed and hit the guy right in the orbital bone. Oh. And broke his face on national television. It was on impact. Ooh. It was Eddie Edwards. He broke Eddie Edwards' face. 
right? Sammy Callahan, that's who. Okay. So that's what Sam, Sam Callahan, like I said, he 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 went to hit he went to hit the chair. It bounces off the chair and he keeps falling through and it hits the guy right in the orbital bone, breaks his face, right? Oof. And like I I was pissed when I saw that, right? Because you know if there was no call for him because one he put the guy he put the chair on the guy's chest he didn't make sure the chair was there like he was supposed to be and then he when he throws the the bat he's careless with the bat and then of course it bounces and hits the guy in the face too it's like it, it all went wrong you know what i mean it's like at any point if he would have fixed either one of those things it all would have been okay yeah and people exactly. were trying to you know take up for him like oh he didn't mean to do it it was an accident shit happens like yeah shit happens unless you're the guy laying on the mat you know what I mean? Like, there isn't anybody in this business I think that wouldn't be mad they got when they got their face broke by a baseball bat because someone did that. Oh yeah. Know? But like, you know, I don't care how nice the guy is, you know, that kind of stuff is unacceptable. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's you have to have a very certain level of professionalism if you're gonna be doing that because you know, it it's still you know, even though certain things are scripted out you know, wrestling is still a very high impact sport. You know, you can, you can easily kill someone if you screw up a move or paralyze them, you know? And it's, it's like, um, that horrific video of Sid Vicious where he's on that top rope and then he falls and just his ankle goes one way and his leg goes the other way. And, you know, that is a very real, real thing that's happened. And, you know, obviously from multiple wrestlers who have had multiple surgeries all over their body. It's, it's not a easy light sport, no matter what people think. Did you see the, uh, did you see the video of the backyard guy that broke his legs? I did not. I was not so, going, I was not going to watch that. Cause, um, after, after watching, uh, Dak Prescott, who's the quarterback for the uh, Cowboys and yeah. his ankle thing. I was like, I, I'm out of this, yeah. <laughs> but I, I heard about that and that was just, Oh my God. I couldn't even imagine that happening. Well, that's the same thing too. It's like, and I, I kind of got hot about that too. Cause then like Jericho sent the guy money and like all these wrestlers were sending the guy money. Like you realize he was doing a backyard show, like no training, no yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. They thought it'd be fun to do the goof. And he goes out there and he doesn't even know how to jump down off the ropes and breaks both of his legs in half. Obviously, it was a freak accident. Yeah. But, like, if you go, like, Ricky Morton has a training school, and one of the first thing he tells you is, hey, this ring is dangerous. You know, these ropes hurt. This post does this. He goes through the thing and tells you how dangerous the ring can be. You yeah. know what I mean? So that's day one wrestling school stuff, you know? And, like, he – um you know, I just felt it was disrespectful. You got all these guys out here that are busting home, trying to make a living in professional wrestling, probably never going to get the opportunity because of the way the business is now. And we're going to start a GoFundMe and try to help out this, you know, this backyard mark that, you know, is basically disrespecting our business yeah. by, you know, going out there. It just, it didn't set well with me either. Yeah, no, it's, it's like that, that was nice of them for doing that. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's, like, I'm sure the guy's a nice guy and, you know, whatever, but the, the fact of the matter is he was trying to play wrestler and he broke both of his legs, and that's what he gets for trying to play wrestler. Well, you know what I mean? Like, I don't go fly, I don't go fly a jet pretending to be a pilot. You know what I mean? Well, what, what's always irritated me 
about wrestling in general is, you know, you can send money to someone like that, but, you know, a lot of the old school WWF wrestlers, they are so financially screwed up that some of them are still having to wrestle in order to make ends meet. And it, it definitely seems like Vince McMahon and that organization, once you have played out your useful part of them, you get discarded. And it's like, you'll have guys who have really bad arthritis who can barely walk and everything. And they still have to get in the rain at, um, you know, some shady ass sideshow in order to make a, you know, a few hundred dollars because they weren't protected after they retired. And that's, that's the shitty part about that is someone like that gets sent money for being a complete fuck up. No, disrespect to this guy but you can't help out someone who has a genuine issue like yeah you know that was my thing too it it pretty much to me the money could have been better served you know there's plenty of guys out there that are trying to make it and actually doing everything the right way when he got trained and maybe he blew out his knee and and can't wrestle from you know a year or whatever it is i think the money would have been better served going to someone like that within our industry, you know what I mean? Rather than someone that, like I said, was being very disrespectful by even trying. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's like, if you're going to, if you were going to really be interested in trying to be a wrestler, you needed to go about that in a much different way. You need to go about that in the right way. Not, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do some backyard stupid shit and see how it works out. Because imagine if that wasn't, his legs being broken, but imagine if he did like a pile driver on someone and it was like the stone cold Steve Austin thing, but that person died. Then guess what? He's going to end up going to prison because of manslaughter. You know, it's not like I said before, wrestling is a very high contact sport, no matter what people say. And if you don't respect it and treat it as a high contact sport, then you don't need to have any involvement in it. You don't need to be around it. Right. Absolutely. But uh, <laughs> we got totally off the podcasting subject. <laughs> what um, what are your long terms for podcasting exactly? And like, when it's time for you to hang up the spandex, do you see yourself podcasting full time, or? Do you, or is, you know, the Midas touch, you know, will it go for a certain point and then just, you know, that's it? Well, I think it can go, you know, for as long as I want it to, you know, obviously um, the content is endless. I mean, I could do 30 minutes on anybody. I could do 30 minutes on George South. I could do 30 minutes on guys that wear red trunks. I mean, I could do, right. you know, 30 minutes on anything, you know? So I think, uh, it's an endless possibility. I really just want to become as to make it as, as big as it can be. You know I mean? If, if we ended up having thousands and thousands of listeners and thousands and thousands of subscribers and things like that, um, that would obviously be great. You know, cause I mean, to me, it's more about the betterment of professional wrestling. So if we can change one person's thought process on, Hey, this is the way it's actually supposed to be. And maybe I need to do it more like, you know, Greg Anthony's telling me to do it. 
you know, maybe it'll, maybe it'll start changing the business. I've always wanted to change the business. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't think I'd have to change it. I didn't think it'd be this far gone, to be honest. You know, like, I didn't think, like, I, I don't know. I just, I never thought we could be to a point where, you know, simple things as far as like kayfabe and just selling and things like that. Like, that's, that's what I'm having to tell people to do. You know what I mean? Like, these things still matter, you know? Right. So, it's been, it's been a hard issue like that, but, and I get called, you know, I get, people call me grumpy Greg or they, you know, they say I'm a dinosaur that, you know, they'd like to, they like to say those kind of things, but no one can, no one can debate me on these things and win because I know too much about this, this business. You know, there's no one that's going to sit here and say, well, you know, so-and-so is so popular and they have all this. Yeah. But it's, they're so popular to the detriment of actual professional wrestling. That may be good for them, but it's not good for wrestling. No, exactly. Plus, that's one of those things where, like, I, I feel you shouldn't be punished, per se, for having that knowledge and having that experience. And it it sounds like, in a way, that you kind of are. And it's like you're being dismissed because you have that knowledge, which is something that people should not be. Yeah, so, I mean, they just – it's it's much easier to go out and wrestle with no parameters, you know what I mean? Like nothing's wrong. Everything I do is right and great. You know, that's easy. Right. Right. Uh, but going out there and actually being a professional and being able to do your job and do things the way they're supposed to be done within the parameters of what professional wrestling is supposed to be. It's not easy. And psychology is one of the hardest things to learn. But once you learn it, it makes everything uh, makes everything easier on yourself, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, if you could get anybody on your podcast just to sit down and just really talk to them, you know, with no time limit or anything, who would you get on there? And they can be, you know, they can be living or, you know, deceased and everything too. I mean, my pod, you know, my podcast is more like just me talking, but if I was going to have a guest, I mean, obviously Vince McMahon or Triple H, just because, hey, let's let's get them to actually change the business. You know what I mean? Let's get them because everything starts with the leaders. You understand? Like in fast food, if anything is changed in the fast food industry, it's because McDonald's changed it. Right. Right. Same thing with wrestling. If WWE said, hey, we're not hiring any more guys that do this, we're only hiring guys to do it this way. You know, a lot of shit would change, you know, yeah, exactly. overnight, overnight it would change because uh, that would be the carrot for a lot of guys. You know what I mean? Um, so, like, I really think if we went back to, like I said, that old school, you know, we're going to do it this way kind of stuff, that believability factor and got get away from the cinematic matches, get away from the television styles kind of stuff, get back to, to actual old school, hard hitting athletic professional wrestling when i say athletic i don't mean tumbling i mean like two bulls locking horns i mean like you hear a clothesline come through your television set you know right. what i mean like a like like a real clash of titans type thing yeah like an actual like an actual fight you know what i mean like something that you see and you 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 have that knee-jerk reaction of oh wow man that hurt you know yeah. what i mean yeah exactly like, 
that kind of, we don't have that kind of stuff because guys slap their legs 72 times a match now, you know, but it's just like, if we had more of that kind of stuff, I think the business would definitely, uh, would fare more in our direction. Right. Because I mean, like, especially when the outsiders came to WCW for the first time that that made wrestling, especially at that time, seem so real because it's like you had Scott Hall coming in and then you had Kevin Nash come in and then it's like, you know, the whole thing was they're not under contract and everything like that. And then that episode of Nitro where they, it looks like they long darted Rey Mysterio into the side of that trailer. And, you know, for a split second, you're like, holy shit, he is dead. <laughs> there is no way Rey Mysterio is alive from that. And it's like, that's something that's sorely missed is that like kind of, it's an edge, but it's still not pushing it to an ECW yeah. stage. Like, yeah. because there's no way in hell that if wrestling had gone the ECW route and had 50 new jacks and a bunch of mass transit incidents, there's no way wrestling would be around today. And if it was, I'd, there'd be probably a lot more people in jail for doing that shit. So it's yeah. like... I think that was like the sweet spot for you could have the edge, but you could, you know, still have it, you know, family friendly. Yeah. Well, it, hey, I'm, I'm on 2%, by the way, if you want to. Okay. If we'll, we'll have the, you want to keep talking or you, what do you want to do? Um, I guess we can wrap up real quick and then, yeah, we can just wrap up if that works. Okay. Yeah. So where can people, find you on social media and uh, social media, you know, I'm on you know Facebook as the golden boy, Greg Anthony and, you know, uh, Twitter. I'm at, at golden boy, Greg. Um, I'm on LinkedIn too, is Greg Anthony, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So um, Instagram on the golden boy, Greg Anthony on there too. Uh, Pro wrestling mid South on Facebook. Um, and also, you know, the 30 minute Midas touch on wherever you try to listen to podcasts at, whether it be YouTube or Google or Spotify or something like that. So when is, that'd be the best way to see me. When is your next match? Um, you know, we run every Friday and Saturday night. So we run every Friday night in Ripley, Tennessee, uh, at 207 South Washington. And we run every Saturday night in Dyersburg, Tennessee, uh, 1827 St. John. Okay. So, um, Bell time Friday is eight. Bell time Saturday is seven thirty. How much is so, a how much is a mission? Five dollar. Five dollar make you holler. Yeah, five dollar make you holler. You know, we I want to make it as affordable. You know, like I said, we're very family friendly, so kids five and under are actually free, and then just five dollars normally. You know, some of the bigger shows will do ten dollar uh, front row and eight dollar general mission, but for the most part, it's usually five dollars GA. Awesome. Well. Greg, thank you so much for coming on SP Nation. Um, you, you've really given a very unique and in-depth look into the indie part of professional wrestling and given some really good uh, commentary on on the big-time professional wrestling. And I definitely appreciate the conversation. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Have a good one. You too.